Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. On, oh, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so I've been working on a devotional plan for Lent. Lent actually is this you know, season of preparation um, leading up to the events of Holy Week and then Easter, right? Good. I mean, no, I feel like it all culminates on, on Good Friday at the cross. Um, anyway, I've been working on a devotional reading plan for Lent that we'll, we will all uh, embrace together. Uh, on February the 26th. So there there you go. There's my lead-up invitation. So in in working on this devotional plan, I, I was literally stopped in my tracks yesterday at John 13.1. Now, John 13 is, I mean, just, it's a great passage of Scripture. We have Jesus um, uh, entering into this period of... Uh, it's just it's just an incredible culmination there. So they're they're going to share the Passover together. It's going to be the Last Supper. You and I know the rhythm of it. Um, in the Gospel of John, we get the foot washing. We don't get that in other uh, in other Gospels. So that's the scene. I mean, that's what's going on here. But I think we breeze over verse one. And I was stopped in my tracks yesterday at John thirteen one, and so I wanted to share this with you. So here's John thirteen one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what stopped me in my tracks was this knowledge, this certain knowledge that his hour had come. And I just, I just had this like searing question, and that is this. Would I know when my hour has come? Will I know when my hour has come? Would you know, or how will you know when your hour has come? I mean, obviously this is about identity. It's about, uh, it's about belonging to God. It's about being uh, on his mission in the world today. It's about Jesus living, you know, toward this one purpose, which is the cross. Um, I mean, it, it, clearly Jesus knows who he is. He knows what he came here to do. I mean, when you and I ask ourselves, what in the world am I in the world to do? Jesus wasn't asking that question of himself. Jesus clearly knew what in the world he was in the world to do. So the questions of identity, belonging, and purpose that kind of plague us, uh, they didn't plague Jesus. Jesus was really clear about who he is, the, the second co-eternal member of the Trinity, um, literally God's right-hand man, sent from uh, from the glory of heaven to earth in in flesh in the incarnation we celebrate that at christmas to accomplish one thing and that is the redemption of humankind by his atoning sacrifice upon the cross and so he knew what he was here to do and yet he also was acutely aware when the hour had arrived and then and then this is this is the part i think that for me was really convicting yesterday it's not as if he then had to radically change what he was doing or how he was approaching things. No, no. 
he kept doing exactly what he had been doing from the beginning. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, the questions uh, before us. Would we know? How will we know when our hour has come? And then, will we just be able to keep living to the end the way we've been living all along? And if not, then why are we not living today as if our hour has come? In order that when our hour does come, we can just keep living the way we've been living all along. Because we would, be, we would have been living a life aligned with God's perfect and pleasing will. All right, so that's what convicted me yesterday when I was in the Word. Where in the Word are you today? We want to be in the Word of God before we get out into the world that God so loves. So next up, I've got Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. He and I are going to talk about things at the intersection of politics and religion, and there sure are lots of headlines there to discuss. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, whom you can follow on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith, is a political science professor at Cedarville University, describes himself as a constitutional gadfly, hopeless wonk, a proud UGA alum. Oh, there you go. Someday we should talk about that. Um, and Mark, when we start into this, what, what would be one thing you would want our listeners to know about you this morning? One thing, okay, well, I wear bow ties, and I used to have sort of a hang-up about not wearing bow ties to funerals, because I thought, you know, funerals, you're supposed to be somber and sad, and bow ties are kind of the opposite of that, but eventually I chucked even that, so I now go bow tie all the time, no matter what. All right, bow tie guy. I'm writing that down. I'm adding that. You should add that to your um, Twitter profile, bow tie guy. All right, I'm adding it. Okay, so we, um, you and I are going to talk a little bit today about um, this ongoing impeachment process. Uh, the, the prosecution in the form of, of House managers presented the case for impeachment, and then the president's lawyers presented uh, a case for his defense or in his defense. You want to sort of summarize what, uh, what that defense looks like? It's been kind of expected in a lot of ways, you know, not all that different than what we even heard through the questioning in the House impeachment investigation. Um, but different, we've seen sort of different variations on the on the desires to defend President Trump. And first, there's the argument that there's really no quid pro quo. There's no pressure exerted. There was no expectation from the Ukraine to do anything, uh, that this was just sort of an agreement. Uh, the other argument we've heard is that President Trump's really interested in corruption. And he's interested in rooting out corruption, and Ukraine is known as having a corruption problem. And so this should be normal for a president to encourage a country to investigate corruption, even if it involves American citizens. Um, There is an element, though, some Republicans are starting to argue the president may have actually done this, that there may be quid pro quo involved, that he did use his office to assert pressure but it's okay. It's not impeachable. It may be improper. It may be unusual, but it isn't impeachable at all. Um, and now with sort of the Bolton information coming out yesterday and that really hitting the media, they're now getting to the point where they're having to go closer to that argument, I think, that it's clear the president did this. He wanted to extract information 
Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not worth removing him. Okay. And it seems as if witnesses or no witnesses is really the big question. Right. Um, maybe talk a little bit about the political calculus on both sides here um, that weigh on how senators will vote on that question. Well, I think for most of the Republican senators, they would like to get this thing over with as quickly as possible. Um, no matter what you think of President Trump, he continually puts Republicans in Congress in a pretty difficult position because he expects to be fully supported. Uh, if you make any mention of moving away from him or disloyalty, then he attacks you with uh, both barrels on social media. And these senators are worried about appearing to be disloyal to the president, while at the same time, more information keeps coming out that makes it a little bit harder and harder to defend him. And so they would like to get this over with and move on to other issues so that they can get past it and get out of this bit of a bind that they find themselves in. Uh, some of them are coming up for election in November, and they're worried about um, having complications there, maybe even being challenged. And it's, it's a very difficult, complicated situation. Many of them would prefer to stay away from witnesses altogether because that just lengthens the trial. Um, but as more information comes forward and as someone like Mr. Bolton makes it clear he probably has important things to say. I think that's a harder position to take. Um, we've already heard that Mitt Romney is pressuring the leadership and that he's pressuring the caucus to open it up for witnesses. And we'll see if he has enough support with him to get that done. The Democrats, of course, want witnesses because they think this is their best chance to maybe have President Trump removed. If more information comes out, maybe public opinion starts to shift. Maybe you see some cracks in the GOP and then perhaps President Trump gets vulnerable. Okay, and then let's do one more, um, one more conversation on that's kind of related to this topic. I mean, the only reason that I feel like we know this is because of the process we're now in as a nation. Um, but in the midst of all of this, Jerry Nadler, this Democratic congressman from New York, has been in Congress for I don't know something like thirty years. Right. He has now shared with the nation that his wife Joyce is battling pancreatic cancer. Um, I got to tell you, it humanized Jerry Nadler in ways that maybe nothing else might have, and it reminded all of us. That these are real people with real families, and and we live in a in you know in a time of deep brokenness as a nation, but that we still have hurting, deeply hurting individuals. Um, I don't just just speak to the fact that these are real people. Yeah, they are real people, and it's easy to turn them into symbols for whatever we want them to stand for. Uh, you know, they're people that we support. They're conservatives. They're liberals. Some of them are heroes of ours. Some of them are villains. Whatever they may be. Um, and they cultivate that. You know, they do cultivate that those images for their own purposes. But at the end of the day, they are human beings. Uh, they're in need of God's grace, just like we're in need of God's grace. And I really think we would all be better off if we would try to spend some time either meeting or getting to know people, not even if they're office holders, but people who have different opinions than ours, so that you can start to humanize them and understand them. doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but I think our viciousness and sort of our visceral reaction to people uh, when they disagree with us would be lessened if we interacted more with those who come from different perspectives. All right, Mark, Caleb Smith and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask him, um, what happens if this Mideast peace plan that's being uh, revealed today at the White House, what happens if this works? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Stop you in your steps. 
continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Um, Mark, you you function at this intersection of religion and politics, and so I feel comfortable just you know asking you to speculate a little bit. We have we've been talking my entire life, and and in fact for generations, thousands of years, um, about the need for the desire for peace in the Middle East. We are also both students of the scriptures, and so. Um, we know that this is not just geopolitical. This is about redemptive history. And so although we do not know, none of us know, uh, what the details of this Mideast peace plan are, that is going to be revealed today at the White House in a press conference with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the President of the United States, Donald Trump, um, we can talk a little bit about the prospect of peace in the Middle East and what what it might mean if this works. Well, it would obviously be a revolutionary, you know, as you said, not only during our lifetimes, but going going way back, this has been a consistent uh, source of strain in the Middle East, which has also, of course, made it uh, stressful for the rest of the world in a lot of ways. And so, you know, given the Middle East uh, geopolitical importance, given the amount of oil in the region and other things, it's just an important area uh, for world politics and the world economy. If it actually comes about, um, you'd expect to see a lessening of terrorism and a lessening of tensions throughout the globe. Uh, a lot of the uh, terrorism that we have today is really rooted in this conflict that we see there. And so, you know, it almost sounds fanciful to think of what it might be, uh, almost utopian, because <laughs> it just seems so intractable. And so many American presidents have have made this their uh, white whale, if you want to use a literary uh, allusion and I, it's hard to imagine it getting solved, uh, but President Trump, of course, has a great deal of confidence, and he's made it a priority, and so uh, he's going to give it an effort, and I think that's worth at least attempting to do. One of the conversations I expect to emerge out of all of this um, will be related to the way evangelical Christians right. perceive Israel, uh, think about Israel, and um, and talk about the importance of Israel in terms of uh, sort of a calculus related to the end times. And so I just think that for evangelical Christians, this needs to be on our radar in terms of things that people will be talking about, and we need to be prepared to enter into those conversations. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I think sometimes we have a tendency to be uh, a little confused with how we approach those things. Oh, we, yes. tend to, we tend to equate the people of God in the Old Testament with the uh, state of Israel today, and you can't just make a nice equation there. Um, and of course, President Trump I don't want to dismiss this as just a political ploy, but President Trump also knows that this is good politics and appealing to that evangelical base. And so anything that he can do that really shows support and favoritism toward Israel, whether it's moving an embassy, whether it's through his rhetoric or through unveiling a peace plan that seems to tilt a little bit toward Israel from what we've heard so far, uh, will probably go over very well with his evangelical base. Okay, I know I'm springing this on you, but my guess is you already know that Virginia has become the critical 38th state, three-quarters of the states, to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, this supposedly clears the way for adding um, the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, but it also there was also this expired deadline. Um, I'm, I'm not too exercised about this because I, I just see this heading into some protracted court process. But could you talk with us a little bit about, I mean, this is like, this is like, could we have a little Constitution 101? How does something make its way into the Constitution? And is this going to get there? 
Uh, I don't think this is going to get there, honestly, because of that expiration issue. Uh, this is going to be litigated one way or another. And there's evidence now that states that originally supported it would now not support it if they were voting right now. And so I think I don't I think this is going to be far too messy uh, for it to move forward. But a lot of this depends on how you interpret the language, of course, and, and anything constitutional. Some, it comes down to a matter of interpretation. But usually we need to see a two thirds majority of both houses of Congress passing something. And we need to see three fourths of the states moving to ratify it. Um, and typically these amendments, when they're put forward, have a hard deadline attached to them. You know, we don't want them lingering for 30 or 40 years and sort of meandering their way through the system because reality changes politically so much that it may not be reflective uh, anymore once it makes its way through, as I think is what's happening here. So there, it's unusual. You know, we haven't amended the Constitution that many times, especially when you think the Bill of Rights were amended very quickly. After that, it's been a very slow process. Uh, and I think you could argue credibly that maybe it's one of the weaknesses of the document. It's so difficult to amend that it's difficult sometimes to address issues that are pressing because it has such a high threshold for amendment. I also think just we need to remind our listeners that um, before the U.S. Congress is something called the Equality Act, which is actually what um, progressives are pressing for today. The Equal Rights Amendment was uh, specifically related to women but right. the Equality Act, which is before Congress, is related to LGBTQ um, right. concerns. And I just I always think it's important, um, Mark, to, to point that out, because I think the two get confused. We hear the word equal or we hear the word equality and we don't really necessarily separate out the two. So we are not Dr. Mark Caleb Smith and I are not talking about the passage of the Equality Act, which is before con- pending um, before Congress and has been passed uh, by the House. And this sort of gets into our elections matter conversation. Um, we are one, we're less than a week away from the Iowa caucuses. Yes. Wanna, yep. uh, you got, you got like, you know, you got like two minutes, man. Yep. Talk about yep. that. Uh, it's, it's interesting right now because we have, we're in the middle of this impeachment trial and several of the leading candidates are really sequestered in Washington, D.C. for this trial. They're not on the trail. They're not in Iowa, um, which is, is damaging to them. You know, Iowa is one of those states where, uh, people begin campaigning so early since it's the first caucus that uh, retail politics, as we call it, matters a great deal. Meeting people, shaking their hands, having private conversations makes a big difference. And so for Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and uh, Amy Klobuchar not to be on the trail right now is really uh, disadvantageous toward their campaigns. It has to help uh, Joe Biden, I think, to some extent even though he seems connected to this impeachment trial also. But right now it looks like there are basically four people vying to win in Iowa. Um, and I think we'll see some order of finish like that. Uh, caucuses are a little bit different than primaries, and so polls don't always reflect what the outcome's going to be. But I'd expect some combination of Bernie um, or Biden uh, Buttigieg or Elizabeth Warren to be jockeying for those top four positions. And, and that way, Iowa may not make all that much of a difference unless one of them wins decisively. Thank you so much for being with us. As always, that's Mark Caleb Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Caleb Smith. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Asherita Choo Choo um, is asking us, what are you having for breakfast this morning? 
Well, okay, I'm actually asking, what are you having for breakfast this morning? What did you have for breakfast? Did you taste and see that the Lord is good? Did you open your Bible with breakfast? Asherita Choo Choo is joining me next to talk about how to start the day with the Bible and breakfast. And I've got books to give away. So as you listen to the interview, if you're thinking to yourself, I'd like to enter to win a copy of that book, then you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Change is tough, and usually change creates all kinds of conflict. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. God has called you as a parent to work toward better things for your family, even if that means instigating stuff that makes your kids uncomfortable. You're standing for good, honorable, and necessary things that will make your home a better place to live in today and years in the future. In fact, your decisions may even impact the family for generations. So let the conflict come. I'd even encourage you to embrace conflict. Bring it on. It's a sign that real change is happening. You have the power to point your family in the right direction. So be encouraged, Mom and Dad. God's working through you, even in conflict. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. We have Asherita Choo Choo back with us again today. She's a best-selling writer and speaker. She's wife to her high school sweetheart. She's mama to three spunky kiddos. She grew up in Romania as a missionary kid. She studied English and women's ministry at Cedarville University. She's the founder of One Thing Alone Ministries, which you can find online at onethingalone.com. And she's here with us today to talk about Bible and breakfast. Asherita, welcome back. Carmen, thank you so much for having me again. So I'm always encouraging people to be in the Word of God before they're in the world. Um, We've got another friend who always talks about the Bible before the phone in the morning. You started a Bible and breakfast challenge. Talk about that. Yeah, so when I was in high school, I heard about this Chinese pastor that said, no Bible, no breakfast. Um, And he had committed to feed his soul before he fed his body. And there was just no way of forgetting to read the Bible because his stomach would remind him. And I thought, what a great idea. And I tried to do that as a young adult. Um, But then as a mom, I I got married, I had children, and pretty soon I realized it would be dinner time before I ate anything (laughs) just because of the interruptions of life. And um, I just thought to myself, what if we did Bible and breakfast, uh, just in prayer, thinking, Lord, how can I spend more time with you? And another element of it, too, was um, inviting my children to join me in this time of spending spending in God's Word together. Um, so many of us want our children to grow up, to love God's Word, and to read it every day. But when we try to um, just get away and have our own quiet time without little children interrupting us. I know what that's like. It's so hard to do it. But also, our kids don't get to see us reading the Bible. And so all of those things, the Lord just kind of brought together. And that's where Bible and breakfast started, just this desire to feed our souls while we also feed our bodies. So I love that. So Bible and breakfast is now a book, Bible and breakfast, 
um, you can you can find it. It's 31 Mornings with Jesus, Feeding Our Bodies and Souls Together. Asherita Chuchu is the author. Um, Asherita, when when I think about quiet time, I don't know I don't know anybody who doesn't want more quiet time and have more mm-hmm. consistent quiet times. So talk about some of the common struggles that we experience with quiet times in addition to like, you know, we have noisy kids. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think another another thing that comes up a lot is um we have this ideal in our minds of what we would want it to look like, how long we would want it to last. Um and in my mind, just because I grew up in a Christian family and I've loved the Lord from a young age, I've loved studying the Bible. So my ideal was to spend an hour inductively studying the Bible, taking notes, observations, interpretation, application, doing the whole thing, having a prayer list that I would pray through. And again, as a young adult, um, just God had placed a desire in my heart to love and serve him. I didn't have as many responsibilities, so it was easy for me to take that hour to do it. But again, in in different situations um, with having a job, with being married, having kids, all of a sudden that formulaic approach to quiet time wasn't working anymore. And so I turned to scripture and said, okay, what does the Bible say about seeking the Lord and what that ought to look like? And Carmen, to my surprise, there is no like hour long expectation in scripture. (laughs) You know, it's not that you have to, morning devotions are not better than evening devotions or even sit in the carpool line devotions. God invites us to come to him any time of day, anywhere we are. And that just brought such a freedom to my soul to be able to seek the Lord in many creative ways. So this morning, for example, um, we're battling a cold in our household, and that typically means our bodies need more rest. So I didn't wake up as early as I wanted to to do my Bible reading, and my kids were kind of rushed as we got out the door for school. So on the way home, after dropping off my, my daughter at preschool, I listened to the audio Bible for the portion of Scripture that um, I wanted to read today. And it's, we have so many tools at our disposal. Um, it's, it's such a gift that we can seek the Lord in so many ways, and we have the freedom to do that. Well, I love that because it's not just that the Bible is available online for me to read. I can listen to the Bible. And actually, it's a great opportunity to share the Bible with other people um, because they could overhear us listening to it, at least in some environments. So I think that is mm-hmm. really cool. I'm talking with Asherita Chuchu. We are talking about Bible and breakfast. I want you to think about what you had for breakfast this morning um, and was the Word of God a part of your feasting. Bible and breakfast is 31 mornings with Jesus, feeding our bodies and souls together. Um, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. It's not just that our bodies need nourishment. I mean, our souls need nourishment. And, you know, Jesus Mm -hmm. even talks about, right, I mean, his, his meat is to do the will of God. Like what he's what he is really eating every day um, is to do the will of God. How how does the Bible get us sort of more connected with and into the will of God through the Word of God? Yeah, I think that's such a good point because um, we go through this feast or famine mindset, which is another obstacle, right? If I don't have a full hour to spend with the Lord, then I'll just wait until I do. And that time never magically shows up. (laughs) And even when when we have it in the evenings, we're more likely to sit down with our phones or with a movie or shopping, whatever it is, than with our Bibles. And the irony is the, the less 
we eat of the bread of life, the the less we consume God's word, the less we hunger for it. Mm. The more we consume of it, the more we eat God's word, the more we want of it. And I'm listening to Exodus right now in my Bible reading, and there's this portion where the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're grumbling about there's no food to eat. And of course, God provides that daily manna for them. But there's commentary in the New Testament where we find out that God caused them to hunger so that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And that's the very verse that Jesus used in the wilderness when he was tempted to turn stones into bread to feed his physical body. He understood the the relationship that we are, yes, bodily, physical creatures that God created in his image, but we're also spiritual. And God desires not just to give us a little morsel here and there, but to satisfy our our souls. The, the psalmist says this, um, because your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will feast on you. Um, I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And so my soul will praise you. So instead of thinking of, all right, when can I sit down and feast on a large portion of scripture, right? Maybe that's our our best case scenario. Uh, maybe instead we think of how can we snack on God's word throughout the day? So this morning I didn't sit down to this feast of a breakfast, um, whatever my ideal would be. Maybe it's eggs and bacon and French toast and orange juice. And right now listeners are hungry probably, <laughs> but that would be my ideal breakfast feast, right? But I didn't have time for that because we were in a rush. And so I grabbed a breakfast burrito on the go. I warmed it up. I grabbed it. I ate it in the car while we were listening to the audio Bible. And I think it's so important just as we feed our bodies these snacks throughout the day, even when we don't have time to sit down to feast, we can snack on God's word throughout the day and meditate on those truths and just turn them over in our in our hearts and our minds. And God will multiply our little to feed our souls. So when we come back from the break, um, I'm going to ask Asherita to talk not only about the snack on the go, this morsel of scripture approach, but also this approach of feasting at the table. Um, and we're, we're also going to visit um, the, the, the reality that this devotion is rooted in behavioral science. And so we're talking about Bible and breakfast, 31 mornings with Jesus, feeding our bodies and souls together with Asherita Choo Choo. We'll be right back. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. Continuing our conversation now with Asherita Choo Choo about her book, Bible and Breakfast, 31 Mornings with Jesus, Feeding Our Bodies and Souls Together. Asherita, you just um, you just talked about sort of the approach of a morsel of Scripture at a time, um, the sort of snack-on-the-go approach. There's also the feast at the table. Talk about this in-depth approach to Bible study. Yeah, so in the book, Bible and Breakfast, every day I offer readers the opportunity to choose either a snack on the go, which is a short devotional that they can consume in less than three minutes, or a feast at the table, which is a longer, deeper, in-depth study of scripture. And it's based on the acronym FEAST, F-E-A-S-T, that I developed um, that's basically an inductive Bible study method. So I mentioned when I was younger, I loved to sit down. My dad taught me um, how to pull out concordances and Bible commentaries and Greek and Hebrew word studies and all that good stuff. And I just geek out on it still when I get the chance. 
Um, but I want to teach other people who don't necessarily know how to sit down and study a passage of scripture and walk them through the process. And so that's what the FEAST acronym is. F is focus on God. So before you even start reading, just pause, take a deep breath, remind yourself that this is God's word, that you are in God's presence and ask him to feed you from what you're going to read. The E stands for engage the text. And that's where you just ask basic questions like, who is this about? What is going on? Who, what, when, where, why of the text? Um, And follow any rabbit trails. Be curious. Ask the questions, even if you don't have answers necessarily. Sometimes there's so much value in just asking a question and meditating on that and asking the Lord to show you um, what does he want to teach you through that text. The A is something that I think we skip a lot of times in our Bible reading, and that is assess the meaning. Because scripture was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. So we need to pause and and kind of consider what is the cultural context that it's going on here? What's some of the historical background? And that's where a study Bible with footnotes will be really helpful. Or if you don't have that, there's free tools online like Blue Letter Bible that will give you a commentary to help you kind of discern, okay, what did this mean to them? And then once you know that, you can move to the S, which is spark transformation, because we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us. This isn't a self-improvement program. This is us coming to the Lord open and saying, I'm, Lord, I'm, I want to do what you want me to do. Would you work that obedience in my heart? And so now that we know what it means for the original audience, we can ask, okay, what does God want me to do? And we ask his spirit to spark that transformation in us. So we have the F-E-A-S and the last letter is T in the feast study application. And that is we turn back to God and worship. And Carmen, I missed this step for more than 20 years of studying the Bible, I would get my application and I would just run with it. And it's like, okay, I got, I got my to-do list for the day. I know what I need to do. Now I'm just going to try harder and do it. And, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized that the point of reading the Bible is not just to grow in our information about God. It's not just for our own transformation. It truly is to lead us to a point of adoration We want to learn who God is, not just what he wants from us. And so the T is to pause and to turn back to God in worship and and just ask yourself this one question, what did I learn about God and and what can I praise him for today? So that's the feast approach. Um, It is longer. It's probably somewhere around 30 to 45 minutes if you just sit down and really dig into it. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't get to feast on scripture every day. It might just be once or twice a week that I have those longer periods of time. Uh, but just as you would enjoy this lavish breakfast or brunch spread and just to linger at the table with the people around the table, um, that's what feasting at the table is like when we study scripture inductively in depth, we get to hang out around the table with Jesus and just ask him, Lord, feed me. I'm I'm here. I want to learn. And Jesus' promise is so beautiful in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So, Asherita, um, 
the the way that you have put this together, and again, I'm talking with Asherita Chuchu. We are talking about her book, Bible and Breakfast, 31 Mornings with Jesus, Feeding Our Bodies and Souls Together. Um, this approach is designed to help us develop a pattern. This is really rooted in behavioral science. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I am a bit of a nerd, like I mentioned earlier. So the last few years I've been learning as much as I can, and I've been reading as much as I can about how God created our brains to develop habits. Um, Because really my heart is for myself, but also for the women that I serve, is to help us find joy in Jesus, enjoy time in his word every day, even in the midst of overwhelm. So how did God wire our brains for daily habits so that it doesn't have to be a constant fight to read God's word, to pray, to worship. And what I found, um, surprisingly, there's a number of studies that have come out in the last few years, is that instead of setting these big resolutions at the beginning of the year, that this is the year I'm going to read through the Bible in 365 days, or this is the year I'm going to spend an hour in prayer, um, those resolutions tend to fail because it it goes against how our brains work. And instead, what we can do is, one, make the habit that we want to incorporate in our lives, make it tiny. Um, Some people call this tiny habits. Some people call it atomic habits. Uh, But basically, you just break it down to its smallest increment. So this is where that snack would come in. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, don't try to read it for an hour. Read it for three minutes. And maybe just ask one question, what does this teach me about God? That's it. Just make it tiny. The smaller the habit is, the less resistance the brain perceives. And so you're less likely to procrastinate. You're less likely to put it off because it seems so simple that your brain will just go for it. So the first thing is to make it tiny. The second thing is to link it to a habit that you're already doing. So again, this is back to behavior science, that we have this tendency to go from one habit to another. I've read a study that somewhere around 80% of the things that we do every day are habitual. Like we don't even think about it. We grab our keys on the way out the door. We back up the car to the garage and we don't even think about opening the garage door because it's just, it's a habit. But that's all linked up. It's a sequence of events. So this is where Bible and breakfast comes in. If you're a breakfast person, I'm a foodie. I would never miss my breakfast if I can help it. And so eating breakfast is an established habit for me. So linking the Bible to that just makes sense. Um, it's, It's a way that I won't forget to read the Bible. For some people, it's reading the listening to the audio Bible while they walk the dog or right. keeping a copy of the Bible in the carpool line. Yeah, I love the the rhythm of this um, and the encouragement that um, that you provide. All right, friends, that's Asherita Choo Choo. You can find uh, her online. Um, where where do you want them to go online? I, I like to go to onethingalone.com. Is that good? Yeah, they can go there. If you want to find out more about Bible and Breakfast, you can go to bibleandbreakfast.com. And I have... Um, helpful guides with these tiny habits and a sampler of Bible and breakfast to get you started. Love it. Bibleandbreakfast.com. Asherita Chuchu will be back um, on another occasion to talk about preparing our hearts for Easter. Asherita, thanks so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, now that you've heard my conversation with Asherita, um, I'm thinking that you are wanting to taste and see 
Bible and Breakfast. And so if you are interested in the drawing for copies of the book that we have here in the studio, simply text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you want to learn to feast, focus on God, engage the text, assess the original meaning, spark the transformation, turn back to God in worship. If you want this study method and you want the the, the taste and see approach that uh, Asherita is offering, we've got some copies of the book. If you're interested, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can, you know, you can always communicate with us. Uh, you can email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can check out what we're doing on the website. Um, I mean, again, it's MyFaithRadio.com. It's a great opportunity to get a verse of the day sent to you. Um, and it's a great opportunity for you to read more in-depth studies um, and and connect with what we're doing uh, here in this ministry. It's also an opportunity for you to give. And so if you're visiting MyFaithRadio.com and you think to yourself, you know what, I, I'm blessed by this ministry and I want to be a part of extending this ministry to more and more people, all you have to do is hit, hit, the, uh, hit the donate button. Like it's, it's not that hard. Um, so we invite you into the ministry as a part of the Faith Radio giving team, family, giving family. I think that's my better language, giving family. Um, okay, up next uh, today in the second hour, I am going to be talking with um, with Justin Gibney. He and I are going to be talking about political developments across the country. We're also going to be talking about what he's going to say to the CCCU's President's Conference, which is coming up soon. Jason Thacker and I will also be talking about what's up with WhatsApp. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.